Well, good morning, and we are excited that you're here and thankful that you're here. This morning, we'll be in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Romans chapter 12. This morning, we're going to talk about, while we're all here together, what it means to be the body of Christ or the body in Christ. And I hope this morning that two things, and I guess this is kind of always the hope of a sermon. First, the prayer is that you'll be encouraged, that you'll look around today and see what God is doing. Then the other thing I hope is that we're challenged today, that we remember that every one of us that call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ have been called to be an active part of the body of Christ and that you matter today. And the third thing, I guess, is this, is that this morning, if you're not part of the body of Christ, if you're not sure that you have been called into God's family and are part of the body of Christ, I'm not talking about church membership, I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, I hope that you see clearly that there's an opportunity of salvation, that there's mercy for the sinner to come to Christ because honestly, that's where all of us are. We all are people who are in need of mercy and Jesus provides that mercy for us. And so in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is writing, of course, a letter to the church at Rome. The book of Romans is called Paul's pinnacle of his work and things. And in chapter 12, he begins to, as he has in other places in the word, relate the church to a physical body and to use that as a picture for us to understand. And so follow with me, if you will, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. God's perfect and inspired word says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says, you are Christians, you are a church, but you are much more than that. And he uses the idea of a physical body to describe them. But I want, before we get into all of the kind of details of this, I want to stop and make sure that something is very clear this morning. In verse number one, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And so when Paul is saying this, I want us to make sure that we understand, and probably most of us do, but it just needs to be clear, and it needs to be clear all the time from this pulpit, that there are two types of people in this world. There are people who are the brethren. There are people who are Christians who are saved by the grace of God. And there are people who are not. While anyone could pick this up and read it, we need to be be very clear that Paul is speaking to a specific group of people. So when he talks about being holy, when he talks about uh, a living sacrifice, when he talks about being acceptable to God, and when he talks about spiritual gifts and all of those things that we're going to talk about today, he's speaking directly to people who are not church members, but people who have been saved by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, he's speaking specifically to Christians within the church, those 
who are saved, those who have repented of their sins and turned and followed him. If you notice what he says, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He recognizes and he's explaining that, listen, you are not brethren, but by the mercy of God. In other words, if there's no mercy and if you haven't come into this church through the mercy of God, and you haven't come into salvation through the mercy of God, then you are still apart from God. Mercy simply means to not get what we deserve. Each one of us are sinners. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that it began with Adam and it came through every single person. It spread to all men, the Bible says. And so every one of us are separated from God because of our sin, but God shows mercy to those who will repent and follow him as Lord and Savior. And so today, we call ourselves brethren not by our own account, not because we are better than someone else, smarter than someone else, not because we live in a certain place, look a certain way, do a certain thing. We are not brethren because of those things. We are brethren only by the mercy of God, only because the holy God of the universe looks at us and says, if you'll come to me, I will not give you what you deserve because I gave it to my son Jesus. And he paid the price. He paid the death that's supposed to separate you. And because of that, you have an opportunity of mercy. He also calls us into service by his mercy. Paul says, I'm only able to serve you. I'm only able to write this letter to you because of the mercy of God. In other words, as we talk this morning, none of us have a right to serve in a certain capacity or to do a certain thing. None of us are entitled to any certain thing, but it's by the mercy of God. God looks at me and he says, you are grossly unqualified. You are not worthy to lead my sheep. You are not worthy to be called that. And yet by my mercy, I'll allow you in. And so as we talk about service, as we talk about the body and unity, we must remember that we are dependent upon the goodness and the vastness of the mercy of God. And so this morning, the invitation very quickly, before we even get to the end of the, of the message, the invitation is to come to Jesus through his mercy. The invitation is that you are separated from God because of your sin today. And if you will accept the mercy that God is offering, you can come into the family of God and you can know that you know that you are his. And you can be part of the body and you are no longer outside. You are now accepted into his family. We cannot be holy. We cannot be acceptable. We cannot be transformed and we cannot be spiritually gifted, but by the mercy of God. We are dependent upon that mercy of God for those things. And so the invitation one is if you are part of the brethren, if you are a believer this morning, to be an active part of the body of Christ. And if you aren't, the invitation is come. Come and be saved. Come and know Jesus as your Savior. So he begins then in verse number one. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is talking about the whole body of Christ. He's speaking to them collectively, right? He's saying brethren, and he's talking to them as a collective group, and yet he begins to speak to them on an individual level. If we're going to be, as a church, the body of Christ that God has called us to be, if we are going to be a healthy, strong, and useful body of Christ here in this local community, if we're going to be that body that God has called us to, it begins with us as individuals. It begins with each and every one of us being the people that God has called us to be. Have you ever got up in the middle of the night and uh, needed a drink or something like that? And so you're trying to walk through the house. And if you have children, you're trying to be quiet. So you don't want to wake them up because that could be a 
a two-hour escapade, right? And so you're trying to be quiet and, and you feel fine, right? You're not sick. Everything's fine. You don't have any broken bones. Everything's good, right? And you're walking and all of a sudden you stub your toe on something. Anybody ever stub their pinky toe on something? Oh man, that's the worst, isn't it? All of a sudden, because of one little piece of you, you go from feeling great to feeling terrible. All of a sudden, because your pinky toe is sore, you've become incapacitated to even get to the sink, right? Your whole body is now crippled because your toe is bruised. And the truth is, is as us collectively as a church, if we are going to be a strong and healthy and vibrant church, it matters the way you individually are in your spiritual walk with Jesus. It matters if you individually are sacrificing yourself. It matters if you individually are living a life that is set apart to God. It matters that you are holy and living a life that is acceptable to him. Sometimes we can get lost and it's easy to look around and say, well, I don't know that I'm that important in here. My life doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. When one stubs their toe, it affects the whole body. And so Paul begins by speaking not to the church collectively, but to us as individually. And he calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to sacrifice three things. And so in verse one, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so the first thing that he calls us to sacrifice is our bodies. He's saying, listen, your body needs to be given up. If we're going to have a sacrifice, if there's going to be a sacrifice, it first has to be laid down out of our hands, right? So we have to give up control of that. And so in our lives, what he's calling is that our bodies, our hands and our feet and our mouths and the places that we go and the things that we do and the way that we do them would be offered up to God. And say, God, I want you to use this for your glory. I want to use this for your honor. Wherever it is, whatever it is, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. I think a lot of us would say, yeah, I think I do that. But do we really? The interesting thing about the sacrifices in the Old Testament is they came around on certain times of the year, whether it was convenient for you or not, whether you had time or not. And for us, the problem is, is that a lot of times in our lives as Christians, we say, yeah, I'm willing to sacrifice my body. I'm willing to give up my gifts and my time and my talent and those sort of things as long as my schedule allows, as long as we don't go too far. I'll go this far, but you know, we don't want to be crazy. When Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, he literally says, give it all up. And so if we're going to be a healthy body, we first have to be willing to sacrifice our bodies. And before we get to think that it's too much to ask and it's too big of a thing, this part always kind of humbles me a little bit in the end of verse one. He says, which is your reasonable service? It's really just normal. Jesus gave up his entire life for you. So maybe you could give up yours for him. And so he says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, but he calls us to offer them holy and acceptable to God. You see, again, in the Old Testament, when animals were brought to sacrifice, they were called to bring the first and the best and the ones who were without blemish. And while I realize that if any of us are waiting to be perfect before we walk into Christian service or we begin to serve God, then we're going to be waiting forever, right? Because we're not perfect. But here's the idea. Your holiness, your righteousness matters in the church. Who you are as a person matters to the strength and the vitality of the church. The call to offer your life as a living sacrifice to God in service to Him begins even before you walk into church and you sign up on something to serve or you walk into a ministry and you sign up to serve or you support something. The call to 
offer our bodies a living sacrifice begins in our hearts and in our minds and our homes with how we live, what we do and what we don't do. A lot of times when we think about holiness or righteousness, we only think about the things that we don't do. But many times it's the things that we are supposed to do and we fail to do where we sin. And so he calls us to holy living. He calls us to sacrifice our bodies as reasonable and normal service. The second thing he calls us to sacrifice is this. He says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So first, we're to sacrifice our bodies. And second, we're to sacrifice our minds. Listen, this is not about being dumb. It's not about having to be dumb to believe in Jesus. Some of the smartest, most intelligent people that walk this earth are firm believers in Jesus Christ. You do not have to dumb yourself down to believe Genesis. You don't have to dumb yourself down to believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to do that. That's not what he's talking about. But what he's talking about is giving up our natural and worldly way of thinking for his holy and righteous and godly way of thinking. It's putting away the natural thoughts and desires of my own life for the thoughts and desires that God would have us to have. This is what he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, the world would like nothing more than to transform all of us into robots who think and act exactly the same way. Do you notice that when the world does something, they conform, and whenever Jesus does something, he transforms? Conform is pressure from the outside in. I'm going to force you into this mold, and you will be this way. Transform is from the inside out. I'm going to change you, and I'm going to recreate you, and I'm going to make you into something new. But here's the problem. You see, I think a lot of times when we read this verse, we think automatically, well, yeah, the world's trying to make me believe in this, or the world's trying to make me believe in that, or whatever, and they're trying to conform me and, and all that, and then it's true. But you know what I think is scary today? for churches and for believers, is that many times we try to conform what we think to the ideas of the world. We try to take Scripture and twist it and make it fit in with the worldview of the world. And we try to conform in our minds to make reconcile with what God says, with what the world says, and somehow mesh them together. And the Word says it doesn't work. That there has to be a transformation happen. We have to battle against the world trying to conform our minds, but we also have to battle against ourselves trying to conform ourselves to the world. The Scripture says to be in it, but not of it. We're to be set apart. We're to think differently than the world and have different ideas and thought processes than the world. That's just the way that God has called us to be. So how do we renew our minds? Because it's easy to say, but okay, how do I do that? How do I start that? I think it happens in two ways, really. One, by the work of the Holy Spirit of God and the believer. One, the Spirit begins to work and transform us. I think the bedrock thing of that is the Word of God. The more that we read the Word of God, the more we see the God of the Word. I read that just this morning. Warren Wiersbe said, the more that we read the Word of God, the more that we see the God of the Word. And the more that we know of His character, the more that we know of His will, the more that we know of His mind, the more of that that we put into our mind, the easier it is to transform us. We tend to absorb what comes around us. We tend to pick things up and we don't even always know it. If our mind is focused on the Word of God, it will begin to transform your mind. And the Spirit of God, the Word says that He's faithful to help us to remember those things. And so then He will transform our mind so that we're thinking about things differently. So that we're thinking about kingdom purposes. We're thinking about how we love people. We're thinking about how God is glorified and how God is worshipped and those sort of things. Rather than me. Because our natural mind says, how am I most glorified? What's the best for me? How am I most comfortable? A transformed mind says, how is God most glorified? How is he most clearly seen? 
How do we make more of him and less of me? One of the reasons that Paul says that our minds have to be transformed is because our bodies will not be sacrificed if our minds are not transformed. You see, the mind controls what the body does. So the fact that I say the word right about 400 times every sermon is not because my mouth wants it to, it's because my brain continues to tell my mouth to say right all the time, right? My mouth doesn't do that independently of itself. My mind tells my mouth. My hands don't do things independently of themselves. My mind tells my hands. I don't walk places independently. My mind tells. So if my body is going to be offered as a sacrifice, my mind must be transformed so that my body will obey what I'm supposed to do. So he calls us to sacrifice our body, sacrifice our mind. And look what else he says at the end of verse 2. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our bodies sacrifice, our mind sacrifice, and our will sacrifice. Our will are those things that we desire to do and have a passion to do and that drives us towards certain things and to certain decisions. And so he says what you want to do is to display the perfect will of God. The only way that my life and your life and the life of this church collectively can display the perfect will of God is if I first lay down my fallible will, right? If I first take the will that is in me that drives me to want these things and to want this and to want that that are not glorifying to God, I first must have to put that down and then my will has to become the will of God. It's not about my will being exalted. It's about my will and my desires being put aside and me now adopting the will of God so that the things that God wants, I want. Even when we pray, a lot of times I think we think, well, you know, why does God not answer my prayer or why does this not work out? And the first question to ask is, is this prayer the will of God? Is this prayer line up with what God's character displays itself in the word? Does this prayer line up with the word? Does it line up with God's will? And if it doesn't, he's not going to answer it. And so for us, we have to surrender our will so that we can assume the will of God in our lives. Again, we only know that by what? The Word of God. The more that we read the Word of God, the more that we know the God of the Word. The more that we see His truth, the more we see His will. God doesn't will us to sin. He doesn't will us to be prideful. He doesn't will us to do those things. And so we must surrender our will for God's will. And then our actions will display God's will. And here's the reason that we have to surrender our will, because our will demands what our mind thinks about. And our mind then controls our body. In our lives, if we as individuals, and we even as a church, think about this as a church, we have to sometimes lay down our will for God's will. Sometimes we have to say, this makes me uncomfortable, not because it's wrong, but just because it's different, okay? This makes me uncomfortable, or this isn't the thing that I really enjoy the most, but if it's God's will, then I'm going to adopt God's will as my will. And it's hard to lay those things down. It's hard to lay those desires down. I want it to be this way because I like it this way or I've always known it this way or because I want it to be this way in the future. But if that's not God's will, then we need to lay it down and we need to adopt His. And again, we only know what His will is through the Word and through the Spirit of God. And so when our will is right, our mind will be right. When our mind is right, our bodies will be right and we will be holy and acceptable sacrifices to God. And then we come together as a family. Then we come together as one body. Look what he says in verses 3 through 5. 
For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so he says, now that you have all collectively laid your body, your mind, and your will down, now you can come collectively into the body of Christ and you can be healthy and you can be strong and you can be effective for his kingdom and for his glory. And so he says again in verse four, for as we have many members in one body, he describes us as one body with many members. And so it's important for us to see that Paul first sees us as one unified body. We can talk about the global church and we can talk about the local church and Obviously, there's a global church, and we are all part of that body as well. But for our purposes today, he says that you have come collectively into one body. And so while we all are individuals, we'll talk about it in a moment, we need to see that Paul sees us, Jesus sees us, Jesus desires for us to be unified, that we all must be connected together. Body parts that are not connected don't do you much good. They must be connected to one another. And so he says that you are to be unified into one body. That you are not to have divisions and lines and separations, but that you are to come together as one body for one purpose and one function. And so the idea here is that we would be unified into one body. That there would be relationships and binds and, and cores that bind us together and make us strong. We need to be unified and we need to be together. And if we're going to be the body of Christ, the body is strongest when it's unified. When there's divisions amongst the body, it is weak. When there's divisions amongst the body, it is ineffective for the kingdom. But the more that it is unified for the right things in the right places, listen, you can be unified for the wrong things. You can be unified for things that are not of God, that are not of his will, that are not of his word. That doesn't help anybody, right? Except for the enemy. So when we're unified for the will of God and for the word of God and for the glory of God, when that unifies us, now the body begins to function the way it's supposed to function. The first call is that we would be many members, but that we would be one body. We are healthiest when we are together. You know what else this does? When we re realize that we are many members, but one body, one thing I think will happen universally when we really see that. Look what he says in verse three. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. It will humble us when we remember that we are individual parts of a body, but that we are only as good as we are collectively together. Because now, one part isn't more important than the other part. One part isn't more valuable than the other part. Now, we are all individual small pieces that make up one body of Christ. And you see, when we realize that we may be individual pieces, but we are only effective when we are part of the greater body of Christ, we will not think too highly of ourselves. And if we begin to, there'll probably be somebody else in the body who'll remind us that we shouldn't be that way. And so we are healthiest when we are unified. But look what he says in verse four. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. While we are a unified or called to be a unified body of Christ for the sake of the word of God and the will of God and the purpose and the glory of God, while we are called to be unified, he still knows that we are called to be unique and individual. So first we're unified, but we are also unique. He says, you don't all have the same function. 
I've made you and designed you into a certain way with certain gifts and talents and abilities and desires and passions. And when I bring you all together, now you can do those things. And so it's important for us to remember that we're not called to all look and sound and be the same. We're not called all to the same things in this life. We're all called to the glory of God and to the will of God, but we're not all called to be the same. Your individuality matters in this place. Diversity matters. And so we're supposed to be unique. While we're unified, we're supposed to bring our uniqueness that God has created us in and that we should celebrate that. What an amazing thing that God looked at every one of us before we were born and knew exactly how we were going to be. And he knit us together with his own hands within our mother's wounds and he called us to be unique, but also unified. If your uniqueness is keeping you from being unified, then there's a problem. There's a pride problem. There's something going on there. But it's important, I want you to hear this very clearly. You matter. Who you are and how God has created you matters, not just in this church, but in the kingdom of God. You matter. There's a place for you. If God has called you out of sin into life, if he's saved your soul, you matter in the machinery that is the kingdom of God. Every piece matters. It's amazing. I was a mechanic for a long time. It's amazing how one little tiny thing will cause a great big semi-truck to not go. There were times that there was just one little fitting that big that would leak air, and that thing wouldn't be able to go on the road because one little tiny fitting. It's one little thing. Every piece matters. Your uniqueness matters in the kingdom. We all have different functions. Look what he says in verse 6 through 8. He says, having then gifts, Differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. One of the ways that we are unique and have different functions is by the spiritual gifts of God that God gives to those who are believers and the Spirit of God builds and makes within us. I love this part in verse 6. He says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. There's a place for your spiritual gift in this church and in the kingdom of God. He didn't give it to you for nothing. There's a place for it here. Maybe we have to find it. Maybe we have to create something new. But no matter what it is, they're called to be used. And so that's a two-part thing. One, you have to be willing to use them. And two, then we have to put you in a place where they can be used the best. Last thing is this. Look in verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Some of your Bibles may say that a little bit differently, but it all comes down to one thing, that we are members of one another, that we are connected together. I think this goes beyond unity. Because when we're unified, we're still individuals. If we're unified in this place, we could say that. All of us today are unified into one room but we're all still individually. But this says that we are members of one another. And so this is where it gets even deeper and even more important and where I want to encourage you even more. Because while you are unified, while you are unique, you are still dependent on one another. We are absolutely interdependent upon one another. When we unify ourselves for the glory of God, when the body begins to come together and to be unified together, we become dependent upon one another and your strength overcomes my weakness and my weakness is built up by someone else's strength and my strength overcomes their weakness and we are dependent upon one another. And so we need to remember that we absolutely 
matter, not just because of our uniqueness, but because we matter to somebody else. The decisions that we make matter to somebody else. The ways that we work and act matter to someone else. It's easy on Sunday mornings to think, I don't know if I need to go today. You need to go, not just for you, but for somebody else. It's easy whenever we talk about ministries and think, oh, they probably don't need me in there. Yeah, we do, because we're dependent upon one another. Everybody matters. We can't function without one another properly and correctly. Over and over and over again, God has brought the right person, the right family at the right time and the right place. It just amazes me to look at even the ministries that we have now and to look at it and think, we couldn't be doing that without that person. This wouldn't be working without that family. If God hadn't brought them at this time, it would never would have started. Look at the body God was orchestrating. And so this morning, just a few questions for us. One, the most important one, are you a part of the body of Christ today? Are you sure that your sins are forgiven? Two, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are we really laying ourselves down for the glory of God? And three, as a church, are we unified? Are we seeking unity? Unity doesn't just happen, friends. It's worked out. Are we operating with our unique gifts that God has given us? And do we recognize our interdependence upon one another? Do we realize just how valuable we are to the other people and the other person?